Praise God. Good morning. You want to turn to Mark's Gospel. I know I've given you a lot of paper on your sheet there today. You'll only need the top sheet, actually, off those notes. If you open in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 10, as, as most of you know, our founding church is in Singapore. It's a very exceptional church, and I, I really mean that. Highly exceptional around the world. In fact, as I mentioned recently, Pastor Tommy Barnett, one of the most significant ministers on earth at the moment, described it as one of the most influential churches on earth. And indeed, the senior pastor there, senior overseer uh, Rick Seward, described as probably the most influential living being for missions. That's a big thing to say. And it's coming from someone who's got a lot of clout. The most influential person on earth in terms of the forward-moving mission of the church. This church was planted by that church. And we are still directly overseen by them. Every year, currently, they give around 7 million to missions. Now, that's gone up and down over the years, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars have gone into the mission of the church worldwide from this church. Missionaries by the thousand have planted churches all over the globe, in war zones, in famine zones, non-stop. They have pursued that goal, right? Now, it's ironic, you see, because next door to, to VFC, it's called Victory Family Center, next door to VFC, there's another church, say, and that church may give very little to mission. That church may never have planted a church. Nothing may happen. There could be a church across the street from us right here, right now, that has never done a thing. True? And so it's crucial for us. We're, today we're not looking at the Ready, Steady, Go church. Today I want to introduce to at least half of you about the Missions Faith Pledge. Some of you have made pledges, but because there's so many new people, I need to go back to the beginning and build this in. How on earth can a, a, a church in Singapore break through in finances to the tune of hundreds and hundreds of millions whenever the church next door struggles to give a thousand? What is causing that? Of course, it's this here. It's particularly the word faith. It's a dynamic. And as I say, today is about the Missions Faith Pledge. Some of you, you, you will have never heard of this before. Fine. I want to begin at the beginning. We can't just, you know, start here. I want to go back and just talk about finances in a general sense. And for some of you, this will be a refresher course. I don't know about you, but I appreciate it because as I give, I like to remind myself of the basic principles of finances. So to start this morning, let me just make a few key points. And believe me, folks, you need to listen with your heart, with your brain, with your ears. You need to listen with all your being. I see more people frustrated and lost in life because of finances than many other things. Key point this morning, number one then. Poverty is part of the fall. Poverty is not God's design for you. It's not his plan for you. Poverty, you know Adam in the Garden of Eden before he fell, he wasn't poor. He was the king of the earth, by the way, right? God had given him the earth to rule over. But because Adam sinned, as it were, he handed over the keys of the earth to Satan, he then became poor. So poverty was never 
God's will for Adam and poverty is not God's will for you. Any more than sin is, any more than sickness is, any more than bondage is. So folks, if you're struggling financially, God doesn't want you sick. Amen? Amen. God doesn't want you in bondage. Amen? Amen? But you see when you say that God doesn't want you poor, because it's equally true, many people just choke on that one. Even here, even amongst us, even those, some of you here a long time, just still can't seem to get over that financial hurdle. And that tells me that the devil knows that finances are so important. If he can stop you being a channel, he can stop the growth of the church. He can stop funding missions. So he tries to really, you know, twist our thinking on finances. So key point number one, poverty came into the human race as a result of the fall. Key point number two, this Bible here, your Bible, emphasizes finances enormously. But you know what? I would, I would wager that many of you have had an imbalanced teaching in your life. And by that, I mean that you will not have heard enough messages, sermons about money. You should have heard, listen to this, you should have heard four times as many messages on finances as you have on fear. You should have heard four times as many on finances as prayer. And I say that because the Bible mentions fear 365 times. It mentions prayer 500 times. It mentions faith 500 times. And it mentions prosperity 2,000 times. And yet churches shy away from it. Because members can react, the poverty mentality, often, if you, especially if you're in city centers and you're working in poorer areas, very often the very poor people are the ones that can reject this type of teaching the most. So the Bible emphasizes teaching on finances, it emphasizes prosperity, and so we should do as churches. Amen. Amen. It's crucial, not just for your well-being, but for the future of the church, for the growth of the church. So key point number two, the scriptures emphasize finance. Key point number three is in Mark chapter 10 and verse 30. Look at this. I'll start at verse 29. Mark chapter 10 and verse 29. This is Jesus talking. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. That's your life. That's your life on earth. What will you receive? Homes, plural. Homes, plural. Brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields. But, and here comes the warning, and with them you're going to receive persecutions. And by the way, folks, those persecutions largely come from believers more than unbelievers. When you start to prosper around many Christians, you are going to get it, right? And, and, and what you actually get it for is quite surprising. In, in my experience, people will, will judge you very quickly for the strangest of things. They will judge you by the way you dress. They will judge you for the car you drive. They will judge you by where you live. These are the things that I believe the devil comes after us on. They'll judge you on your style. I shared with you before, I ran a drop-in center in Ireland. And this day I walked in, I used to buy all my suits in Primark. You know, you get a whole suit for like 25 quid, you know. 
I walked in this day with my pre-marked suit on. I'd been somewhere or something. And this, this, this girl was standing there. And she looked at me and she gave me such a look and such a judgment. Just because I'm wearing a suit? Hello? But judged me on the spot. Judged me because of what I was wearing. And I never forgot it. Because I just happened to look down and what's she wearing? A pair of Nike Air Max, you know. Five times or something the cost of my suit. Now I didn't do it. But I could have said to that girl, excuse me, what am I being judged on? It's certainly not the way I spend my money. Because you obviously feel that you can spend 170 quid or whatever on a pair of Air Max. And yet you still... Do you know what, folks? Listen, people will spend money on what they want to spend money on. So don't receive the judgment. You'll never prosper. If you allow people to put that on you, you'll be watching what you wear, you'll be watching what you drive, you'll be watching where you live. And the devil will have you on the run and you will not be that channel of finances that God definitely wants his church to be. So it goes for, your, for, for what you wear, your style. It will go for your car. Right? Someone once bought Benny Hinn a Mercedes. And when he first received it, he tells this story. He parked it at the back of the church. <laughs> because he didn't want to put it at the front. He was frightened of what the people would say. Could I have my next slide, please? Take a look at these two cars. Oh, sorry, I don't think they're there. <laughs> Are they there? No. The, the crazy thing about this, friends, is that people will go to great lengths to, to try and, you know, short-circuit that. But it's often foolishness. Someone will pay, I believe last year we had a picture up there of a Toyota Aventus, for example. 20 grand. 17, 18, 19, 20 grand. If Benny Hinn turned up in a Toyota Aventus, nobody says anything. But if he turns up in a Merc that costs 5,000, people start to talk. I just want you to see. See judgment on, on money and wealth. It is an absolute nuisance. It makes no sense. Why should I buy... You know, why do you judge me just because of style? When my car costs less than this other car and you don't judge me for that? These are the ways of the world. They make no sense. People will judge you for what you drive. They'll judge you for what you wear. They'll judge you most certainly for where you live. Right? And again, we, when we worked in, in Ireland, we worked in a very, very bad area, but we lived in a good area. And one day that happened to come up. Someone said, you know, where do you live? And I said, you know, and I remember the judgment. Instantly coming at me, you know, oh, you live there, do you? And I could have turned to that person and said, hang on a minute, yes, I do. I got a mortgage, actually. And I didn't have to ask them because I already know you're renting off the council. And you're paying about 200 quid a month. And I'm paying not much different, actually, on my mortgage. The difference is that you have been irresponsible with your money, and I have not been. I work two jobs. I saved up a deposit. So who are you who's been renting for 15 or 20 years to criticize me when I worked harder, saved more, and was wiser with my money? I don't accept your judgment. Amen? So Jesus gives you... No, forget about me. It's Jesus that warns you about this. You just read it. When you prosper, you're going to be persecuted, he said. Not by the lost, as much as the saved. It's in-house that Christians often misunderstand this. And I say, but city churches suffer more because you, you work with a variety of areas. So there's a lot of change in thinking. That is a big key point, folks. 
Key point number four. Pre uh, prejudice means pre-justice. Means that people have already decided. And you've got to prepare yourself for the prejudice, the pre-justice of everyone and anyone around you as soon as you start to prosper. I'm just warning you, as, as you enter into this, it becomes an absolute battle. This is a huge issue, both for churches and personally. Listen to what David Pawson says. Isn't it strange how Christians spend so much time praying about finances when it's the one thing they don't need to pray for? I thought it was a great statement. And you know, you say, how can he say that? Well, you see, finances come because of principle. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. So you say, you know, you, don't, you just need to obey the principles, and the finances will flow. Take a look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And just in these few pages, there's tremendous scriptures here about finances and how to run your finances in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. This is Paul talking. And he says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see to it also that you excel in this grace of giving. Folks, look at me a minute. I have lost count of the number of Christians who have said to me, I don't care about money. I, I, I care about the prayer ministry. I care about the worship ministry. I care about evangelism. Well, you see, you're not allowed to do that because Paul says here, you may be fervent in prayer. You may be passionate about evangelism. You may be keen on worship. And Paul knocks out many of the key points and he says, but see to it also that you are fervent with regards to finances. Make that, you know, high on your agenda because it's good for the church, as I say, and it's good for everyone. Actually, the whole church should embrace this. Every single one of us need to, to look at this to the degree the Bible puts it, as I say, four times more than fear, four times more than prayer. So the key points in your notes then, I've just got three. Point number one, and it sounds simple, but it's not. It's God's will to prosper you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. Now you may not. It's God's will to prosper you. He knows what he wants. But you may disagree because of your parents. You may disagree because you're frightened of what your friends will say. You may disagree for all sorts of reasons. But God's will is without question to prosper you. So that means that as believers, we need to get the pound shop mentality out of our minds. The church is not the pound shop. Amen. Right? Your home is not the pound shop. Amen. Right? Get it out of your thinking. You're a king, a priest on this earth, right? Get that mindset in us and you're going to have to fight for it. So it is God's will to prosper you, but in my opinion, he has an awful job persuading us to have the same will. People fight him because of religious backgrounds or whatever. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verses 8 and 9. Look at this, it's just the next few verses. 2 Corinthians 8, 8 and 9. He's talking about giving. We've just read that first part. See to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, 
so that through his poverty, you might become rich. Now, don't try and take it out of your Bible. Everybody say rich. That's what God wants you to be. So anything that you have been taught, anything that you have believed religiously or taken on board, you need to let the scripture rule, the final rule for faith and doctrine. And I needed a lot of undoing. I hated prosperity when I got saved because I was a Catholic. I thought I was supposed to be miserable and poor, right? And that was somehow godly. That's just the way it was, right? It is, it's, it's, it's erroneous and it's unbiblical. God knows the plans he, he has for us. That scripture says that though he was rich, when was he rich? In eternity past. He's the eternal son of God. So though he was rich in glory, yet he became poor on earth. But hang on a minute. When did he become poor? On the cross. Certainly not in his life. And I, you know, you can get things two ways. You can get it academically or you can get it spiritually. And I remember the day I got that point spiritually. I really, re- I thought, man, Jesus, you weren't poor. <laughs> Why did I ever believe that? His parents had their own home. It mentions it in scripture. His dad was a tradesman. He worked in the family business. There's no mention of him ever needing anything. He, you weren't poor, Jesus. Not by anybody's standard. Right? You weren't poor. So when did he become poor? It's an important point, you see. Because if I ask you, when did Jesus deal with your sickness? He dealt with it on the cross. Sickness was put upon him, right? When his back was beaten. By his stripes we have been healed. When did he deal with your sin? On the cross. When did he deal with my poverty? On the cross. For our sakes he became poor. So that these riches... Now many will argue about this and say, Ah, you see, that doesn't mean money. (laughs) That means spiritual things, blessings. and No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. The entire context of those two chapters is money. Paul is going, if he wants to talk about spiritual things, believe me, he will, and he does. But these chapters talk solely about money, about giving, and about how we go about that. And I need to, to develop a fervent interest, Paul says, in my life towards finances. If I haven't got it, then that needs to change. So God just, he offers you a divine swap shop, you know. You give him your sin, and if you're born again, you've done that. You give him your sin, he gives you his righteousness. You give him your sickness, he'll give you his health and his strength. You give him your poverty, and he will bless you. Right? But there's, there's the biggest problem seems to be with faith, with cultures that, that, that just oppress us in this way. But still, people don't prosper. Still, when you work with churches over a longer period of time, you see that still, in spite of all the teaching, in spite of all the instruction, so many still don't prosper. They're still stuck. Could I have my list up? These are some of the reasons why people still don't prosper. You can tick the list and you can think about yourself. Forget everybody else. Just think about yourself. But people don't prosper because of the abuse of some. In other words, what I mean by that is they see someone driving 10 Rolls Royces, you know? And they say, ah, prosperity's all wrong. And the abuse of one person or whatever controls their thinking, controls their life. You can't let that happen, amen? You can't let, but many people do. They overreact to the abuse of some. But number two, it really probably should be number one, <laughs> because of what people will say, frightened of what mum will say, or my neighbors will say, or my friends will say. 
But you mustn't be ashamed of Jesus in any way. Be it to take your sin away or to take your poverty away. Because it, absolutely it's controversial and they don't want the flack. So Jesus says, I'm just warning you, when you prosper, you're going to get hit. You're going to get trouble in the house. Right? So we've been warned about the controversy thing. It's going to be with you all your days. That's part of the cross you have to carry. M many people will say, it's the least important thing. I didn't come to church to hear about money. Well, then you obviously don't care. You obviously don't care about mission. You don't care about the funding of the church. You don't care about you know, the, the future. That's a terrible attitude. Finances is not the least important thing in any Christian's life, and it shouldn't be. Paul says that right there, right? Make sure that you're receiving finances, that you're growing in this way so that you can fund the kingdom. Remember, it's prosperity with a purpose. Amen? And because of suspicion, just downright suspicion, people think, you know, this is too good to be true. There's got to be a catch. There's got to be a trick or something like that. Forgetting the fall, forgetting that it's God's will to bless. The whole purpose is the blessing. The blessing, remember Abraham's blessing? The whole purpose was to try and get blessing back on you. Right? So point one, very simple. It is God's will to prosper you. It's God's will to prosper me. Point number two, how does he do it? Through our giving. Oh no, it was going so well up until then, wasn't it? <laughs> he does it through our giving. Could I have my next slide, please? Take a look at these three things, four things, and you'll be familiar with some of them. But if I may dare say, if you're not prospering, the reason you're not prospering is because you're not familiar with all four. Okay? It'll be one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's a principal reason. We're all very familiar with the tithe. The word tithe means 10%, and the tithe is a debt. It's something we owe to God. So the scripture's crystal clear on this. 10% of what we bring in, you know, our gross income, should go to the church, the local church, the church you attend. But after that, you've got quite a lot of money left. And God looks at that and he gives you several things you can do. There's a free will offering. In other words, you've given your tithe, you've got you know, X, Y, Z left, and you want to give out of your own free will. You want to still give something else. So you do. Shoebox or whatever. After that, these two really are, 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 are crucial elements. You can't jump from the tithe to the faith pledge. You need to come the biblical route like everybody else. That's why I, I don't know about you, but I have multiple outgoings in my life. I'm a partner with this ministry, a partner with that ministry, giving here, giving there, right? So that these are fulfilled. The free will is fulfilled and the sacrificial is fulfilled. Then my faith will work. Just obey the Lord, come the biblical route. So first you get your tithe. It's your debt to God. Then you ask, where can I give? And that's a free will offering. Once these first two are gone, you're probably starting to lose the flexible cash. You're probably getting down to, you know, what you need to live on. That's why it becomes a sacrifice. Right? You start to think, well, you know what? I want to give, you know, 100 pounds to this or the other. But to do that, I'm going to have to come into the realm of sacrificing something. Right? Now, once you practice that, you, you, then you enter into where God wants us to be. And that is in the realm of faith. The answer to the question at the beginning, how come one church in Singapore does the work of thousands of churches? How come? Because Christians don't want this bit. <laughs> they struggle. I don't want to have to move in faith. I don't want that. 
But, you know, the, you hear a lot in recent years about having multiple streams of income, amen? But you need to have multiple streams. God's done this for years. And it's a, there's a great security in there. What does the Bible say? The devil will come at you in one way, but if you're operating right, he'll flee in seven. So you can have investment in the kingdom in all manner of ways. And then in the dark days, you will not be so badly affected. Amen? First, it is God's will to prosper you. And you've got to believe that and proclaim it. Secondly, it's God's will to prosper you along these lines. Nobody's an exception. Right? There are no exceptions. You should be tithing. You should be looking for a free will offering to make somewhere. You should be pushing into sacrificial giving. And you need definitely to get to faith. One of the most religious things about the church, the Pentecostal churches, is their giving. We slap ourselves in the back. I pay my tithe every week. So what? So what? Doesn't mean much, does it? It's a very low level. It's a primary school, a primary level of giving. It's these other areas that we need to push and grow up into. Third key point, all giving must be in faith. Faith means I'm doing something that I've never done before. It means I'm stretching myself into a realm that I have never been. Just read particularly your New Testament and take a look at how so often when God was going to do a miracle, he asked the person for something, remember? Remember the 5,000, they're, they're starving hungry, they're all in the middle of the field. Jesus could have just gone, bread. Did he do that? He asked, give me a lunch. Remember Elijah with the widow? She's only got a little oil, what was it like? I need you to give me off your substance, right? And as you put that in, you almost like you give God something to work with. There's, you know, the, the miracles in here, folks, require an action on your part. And you may be asking, God, why don't you prosper me? Well, why don't you obey then? It's not safe for me just to be a sugar daddy. I want you to be involved in the kingdom. Come the biblical route. Take these four steps. Push yourself into them. I mean, right throughout, remember the man with the withered hand? What did Jesus say to him? Stretcher. I can't. It's withered. Give me a break. I can't do it. That's why I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you to do something you've never done. The cripple on the mat. Get up, he says. Now you can imagine the people around think, he can't. That's exactly what I'm asking. I'm asking you to do what you can't do. That's faith. And that's where the, you know, the missions faith pledge comes in. The element of faith is crucial. We're sharing with our leaders, actually, European leaders in, in Greece last year. Our churches are so good at giving. You know, but they're not that good at receiving. Not that good at the prosperity bit. In that way, I believe it's slightly imbalanced. Not that great on the receiving end. I had one woman come into the church one day, walked in, she had her handbag. Yeah, it was coming at me. <laughs> she walked in and she was fuming and she took her bag and she whacked it against the wall. And I thought, hello, good morning. And she said, I'm fed up fed up of this church and your tithing and your stuff. I never prosper. We've never prospered. We've got no money. We're skint. Where's your God now? I thought, oh dear me. Let her settle down, settle down. I remember saying to that woman, my dear, <laughs> where shall we start? You have disqualified yourself with your mouth. 
How dare you talk in front of God like that? You have automatically disqualified yourself by your attitude. You're treating God like a slot machine. I put my tithe in, where's the, where's the money coming out? <laughs> and that's not it. The process here is to change your heart, to cause you to be freely given. Freely you have received, now freely give. Learn what sacrifice is. Come to me by faith. God's got no problem with blessing you, but he has to change you first. And that's why all these steps, you must follow the biblical route. Come each step of the way and you're changed in the process. And in that faith thing, you'll start to hear and that's the key point. Pui's going to come in a moment and she's going to share with us how to, you can make a missions faith pledge because next week, We're in our new building for the first time. And we're going to take up a missions faith pledge next week. Okay? Now this is very simple. 10% of your gross income should go to the local church. You need to find a free will somewhere. You need to find some ministry. There's no end of them. Give to one. Think about sacrifice. About giving something up. And what's happening, you're starting to change. You're starting to change, and if you go down that road and Faith Pledge Sunday comes, you are going to hear from God. And he's going to give you, like a weightlifter, he's going to give you the next weight. He'll give you the thing he wants you to aim for. All right? A, a sum, a figure, could be a hundred pounds, could be a hundred thousand pounds. I hope it is, praise the Lord. <laughs> it could be anything, but you just get used and you listen, and you hear, and you obey that word. And the sad thing is, you see, folks, most I definitely have a financial relationship with God. I can honestly say that. I've developed it. You know, you hear people say, I've got a good relationship with my doctor. Right? Fine, no problem. I've got a good relationship with my bank manager. But you need to have, if you haven't got it already, you need to develop a good financial relationship with God. You personally like your bank manager, as it were, the bank of heaven, call it what you want. You need that. It's one of his attributes. He's Jehovah Rapha. So he's the Lord, my physician. It means I can have a relationship with him based on that attribute. I need, and if you're sick, that's what you're supposed to do. Do you know the way to conquer sickness? Get into every scripture that talks about healing. Amen. Get it in, in, in your mouth, in your mind, in your heart, and go over it and over it, and sickness couldn't stay in your body. Hallelujah. Right? That's developing a relationship with God as your physician. He's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord my counselor. So if you have some mental issues or torment, that's what you do. You seek, you know, God as your own counselor. He's Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd, so he will guide me. If you're confused about your next step in life, you need to seek God as Jehovah Ra. But in the same way, he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord your provider. And you need to develop a relationship with God. That's all about finances in that area. So you go to him. Now, as I say, this is it's really good, you know. <laughs> it really is. It's excellent. Because it gives me peace. You know, my finances are in order. We've done that for years. We live. So I'm happy to go to heaven tomorrow. I'm happy to face God. If I feel anything wrong, we'll put it right very quickly. And Jeanette is fantastic. At, 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 you know, being willing to sacrifice in whatever ways we need just so that I feel right about what I'm doing. See, I don't know about you, but just before money's due to come to me, I get this aura. Not you, aura. <laughs> I, get this, I get this feeling. 
you know? And it's happened again and again and again. It's my bank manager. Excuse me, bank manager on the phone. I can feel it. And, you know, she, she, she knows that I won't say it unless I've got that, you know, gut. Time after time after time, I'll turn to Jeanette and I say, there's money coming, money coming. And sure, time after time, that's what happened. I turned to Pastor Tom about six months ago, Friday night, and said, Tom, there's money coming. I hadn't even got home. <laughs> and I rang him back. I said, huh, just got a big fat check. You know, it's amazing. In fact, three, four weeks ago, Tom rang me. And he said, we're, we're struggling for TV funds. How are we? Yeah, we need money now. Okay, leave it with me. We pray a minute. I went out for a walk, you know. I just prayed and prayed, Lord. Make an appointment. See ya. <laughs> and that was it. Just prayed. But I think it was the next day. I just came out. Boom. Got it. I said, Jeanette, the money's come. We have a post office box just across the road from where I live. My presumption was, it must be in the box. There must be a check because that's where all the checks come in. So I go over and I'm happy. Praise the Lord. I go in, get my post office card. Empty my box, please. 100%. So sure. And the guy comes out and says, nothing. What do you mean, nothing? I took my card. I went outside. But I tell you, folks, it unsettled me. It unsettled me. Because if I can't believe God, I'm in trouble. And I, I, I'm not joking. I got outside that post office. I stood there and said, hang on, Lord. I, I, I don't like this. This is not good. You have spoken to me again and again and again. And I, I know this is good. If I'm losing this, something's up. I'm not happy at all. So I go home. I sit down at home and I'm just sitting in the living room talking to God. I said, God, I, I'm still sure. Oh, hang on. Somebody at the door. <laughs> Hallelujah. Special delivery. And that check came right to my door. It's a financial relationship with God. And he's very keen in knocking this out. I think if God gets your wallet, he's got your heart, right? So take a fresh look this morning. I know you come from a multitude of backgrounds. That's fine. We all do. But this is the original thing you should have been taught. And maybe you weren't. I certainly wasn't. And let it be a refresher course or a recommitment. I ask you to commit to everything on that list and start again start the whole thing again and develop a passion for giving amen i'm going to invite the worship team back and ask Pui if she could share with us the practicalities of how we're going to give next week thank you for listening to today's program i trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.